0: The heart of flyover country. He's not on the far right, and he's certainly not on the far left. Like you, he's somewhere in the middle. This is Dale Carter's America. We are recording today's episode on Monday, February 22nd, which also happens to be George Washington's 289th birthday. The founder of our country. Happy birthday to uh, George Washington. I am Dale Carter. I'm here along with Kurt Wheeler, who's uh, running the controls over there and contributing along the way as well. Last week, uh, the episode was on the Second Amendment, um, firearms and the right to bear arms and all that. And uh, Kurt, we got quite a bit of email.
1: Yeah, we got a lot of emails and we got a lot of Facebook comments on the Facebook page at Dale Carter's America. So thanks, everybody, for contributing. We read all of your comments and uh, we really appreciate it. So keep it up.
0: You bet. Dale C. at KFKF.com is the direct link to get to me. And we do read all of your emails. We comment on them sometimes. Uh, my good friend Mark Zarda, who served his country as a member of the United States Marine Corps, he weighed in with his thoughts On the Second Amendment. We appreciate that. And uh, Mark, we also thank you for your service to this great country. In the last week, um, there's been a lot that's happened. This is kind of the news segment before we get into the meat of today. The meat of today and the title of today's episode is Do No Harm. And we're going to tie that to the uh, 10th Amendment to the Constitution. Uh, But before we get to anything else, I want to say a couple of words about somebody who influenced me a great deal when I was a young broadcaster and that is Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh, the guy who saved AM radio, and you can love him or you can hate him, and man, Kurt, I have seen both sides of that spectrum all over Facebook, and uh, particularly on the hate side. The people who hate Rush Limbaugh, I mean, they are dancing like jihadis over in the Middle East on top of an American flag.
1: Yeah, it's pretty despicable, honestly, um, the amount of excitement that people are having uh, over his death and I mean, it's clear from some of these comments that these are people that have never even listened to him or never even bothered checking out his material, which, you know, it's the tolerant left for you. Right. He just
0: has a reputation, and that's what the reputation is. And what this podcast, one of the goals of it is, is to get back to civil discourse, even if you disagree. There is a difference between I disagree with you on this policy – I think the government should be smaller than you do. You think the government should do this? I don't think it should do this. Uh, there's a big chasm between that, and I hope you die a slow, painful death. Right. Yeah. And that's where we've gotten. You know, it's not just that it's not good enough that I just disagree with you.
1: I hope you die a slow, painful death. Right. You're a terrible person. You're a bigot. You're a racist. I mean. it it, it's so easy it's intellectually lazy i mean it's so easy to do that you can just throw people into this category and then you don't have to take them seriously anymore you don't have to they're not human you don't have to uh you know listen to what they're saying you can just call them terrible names and then you know wipe your hands and and it's done
0: now here's a clip from a very early rush limbaugh broadcast where he kind of laid out exactly who he is and what he stands for
2: I stand accused of being one of the most
0: heinous Americans alive today. Why? Because I believe in the power of the
1: individual. I believe in limited government. I believe in you keeping more of your money. What does that make me? It makes me a conservative. So,
0: again, I get that if you're a liberal, you're not going to agree with that. But does that mean you want the guy to die a slow, horrible death? I mean, I don't think so. Um, Rush influenced me early in my career, Kurt, back in the 1980s. I was doing my first morning show in Evansville, Indiana, and I didn't just want the morning show to be, hey, I'm Dale, and I'm playing country music, and that was, and this is, and the weather today is going to be nice. I wanted it to be more than that, and somebody came to me, and they had heard this new Rush Limbaugh program on the network, and I listened to it, and man, The entertainment value. Now, if you've listened to Rush in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, maybe that entertainment level that was there in the late 80s, early 90s wasn't there. But man, when I listened to him, a guy named David Dinkins was mayor of New York City at that time, and Rush was all over him. He had a David Dinkins update theme. He he would pick topics that he wanted to make uh, commentary on, and he would uh, make them funnier, add production value to it. So like he had a condom update. Mm -hmm. And for the condom update, he used the song from the fifth dimension, Up Up and Away in my beautiful balloon. Right. (laughs) And that's pretty darn funny. And then he had his animal rights update where he would use the song from Andy Williams, Born Free, Mm -hmm. and you'd hear like automatic gunfire in the background. Right. right, And then he'd get to the to the point of the matter. And and I said, Man, that's the kind of radio I want to do. And to this day on KFKF, if you listen to my show, you're going to hear update themes. That's something I learned from Rush Limbaugh a very long time ago. And uh, in fact, back in Evansville, we had this uh, sheriff that nobody liked at the time, and I started calling him the Marshal mm-hmm. on the air, right?
1: <laughs> Do you remember Bonanza? You're a young guy. Yeah, I, I you've you've not pro- really, know. probably seen it in TV land, though, right? I've seen it referenced. The Cartwrights, yeah.
0: right? Okay. okay. Okay, that's like the theme from Bonanza. Okay. That's the first time I've done that on the podcast, by the way. Lauren Green played the father on the show. Lauren Green had the big, deep voice and all that. Well, somebody sent me an old vinyl record back in the 80s of Lauren Green singing the words to the Bonanza theme song. And that became the Marshall Update theme for the sheriff of Vandenberg County in Indiana, And I took that directly from Rush Limbaugh. Mm -hmm. So if you listen to the show today on KFKF, uh, you're going to hear fun update themes. Um, In fact, I did one on politics, making fun of it. Uh, We call it politics American style. You're getting screwed. Mm -hmm. And they sing that, and then there's music under it and all that. All of that came from Rush Limbaugh. Now, come to Kansas City in 1995, as I did, and I was working with Mary McKenna on the morning show at KFKF. Little did I know that back in the day when Rush was doing a local show in Kansas City, I didn't know there was a Kansas City connection. Mm-hmm. Did you? I think he didn't He start radio in Kansas City? He did. Yeah. Uh, he worked for the Kansas City Royals, too, for a while in their yeah. PR department. Yeah. Mary McKenna, who worked with me on KFKF, was Rush's news girl. Mm. So when George Brett was inducted into the Hall of Fame, they did this big black tie event in Lot M uh, between the stadiums here in Kansas City, and um, I got to go to that. And there were all kinds of cool people there who were connected to George Brett, and one of them was Rush Limbaugh, and I got to meet him that night. And then a little bit later on, uh, Mary was turning 40, and I put together a Mary McKenna, this is your life kind of broadcast on our show, right? And the the coup de grace was I got a hold of Rush Limbaugh's people, and I, I told him that Mary was turning 40, would you please be a special secret guest on the show? And he came through. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, that's where Rush Limbaugh came in, you know, both all the way back for me in Indiana and then coming forward here to Kansas City. Now, you know, we poked fun at everything on KFKF and we poked fun at Rush Limbaugh. Mm -hmm. And there were times when he was in the news and we had our own little update theme for Rush Limbaugh. And I played it uh, after he died. uh, And wherever he is listening to radio now, whether it's up there or down there, and I guess depending on whether you're on the right or the left, that's your decision, right? Right. He's either looking <laughs> up or looking down. Um, this was the Rush Limbaugh update theme on KFKF.
1: This is the world of Commander McGrag. Your hair will curl in the world of McGrag. He fights monsters
0: galore, and then asks for still more. or so <laughs> says the... For those who don't know, Commander McBragg was one of the cartoon vignettes on the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. You know, they had Peabody and Sherman. Um, they had Dudley Do-Wright was part of the, the Bullwinkle deal. And um, also Commander McBragg, who was just pompous, arrogant. And I thought it was perfect
1: for Rush Limbaugh. Mm-hmm. And I think even Rush Limbaugh would have laughed on that. Well, he made fun of himself, too, sometimes. Oh, yeah. I mean, he. I, I think Rush really taught us all not to take ourselves too seriously. I think that's one of the... The lasting impacts of his legacy that certainly you apply to your morning show and, and I apply to my own life, you know, um, having listened to Rush as well. so
0: But if you take him too literally, I mean, you know, you could really find some stuff to hate in there. One of his uh, things that he said all the time was talent on loan yeah. from God. Half of my brain tied behind my back. Well, think about this, though. (laughs) Don't we all have talent on loan from God? Yeah. I mean, if you believe, yeah. Of course you do. And uh, God called the loan on Rush last week at age 70, Um, on Ash Wednesday. And no doubt so Rush Limbaugh passed away he was 70 and now talk programmers and talk general managers (laughs) are are trying to figure out how to fill that gap because Rush Limbaugh is the guy who saved AM radio it was dead you might as well turned it off back in the 1980s and um, he saved it in a way that a lot of people have copied and
1: uh, no one uh, quite could be Rush Limbaugh yeah I mean there will never be another Rush um I'm a little bit younger than you Dale I I didn't start listening to him until uh, I was in college. This was during the Obama administration. But certainly, uh, like you said, love him or hate him, we would not be where we are today without Rush. He pretty much single-handedly shaped modern conservative media. And it's not just radio. It's podcasts, subscription services, TV. So we all owe a big debt of gratitude to Rush for laying the groundwork for taking the slings and arrows for the rest of us and allowing us to come to this point where we are Now sitting here recording this podcast. So Exactly.
0: Exactly. Thank you, Rush, uh, for that from wherever you are. And, And the podcast, you know, my vision for this podcast was to recast conservatism, get it out of the the realm of of throwing firebombs at each other, calling each other names, just setting out a course of what I believe it's Dale Carter's America after all. And the opinions are mine. They're they're not anybody else's. Kurt pipes in with his own opinions. I don't necessarily share them 100%. You know, a radio consultant once told me, if you and I agree on everything, one of us is irrelevant.
1: <laughs> right. <Okay? laughs> so uh,
0: it's okay if, if you and I aren't in lockstep either. Um, so there's a lot on the news blotter today. But, but again, that's what this podcast is all about. Again, like I said, presenting conservatism in a new light and recasting it. Because uh, for the Republican Party in particular, the post-Donald Trump era starts right now. I mean, you should be thinking about candidates for 2022. You should be thinking about a candidate for 2024 um, because, you know, those elections are coming up fast. And elections, as we're seeing in the early days of the Biden administration, well, they have consequences to the news blotter we go for today. Um, We're going to start with I almost called him Mario Cuomo, (laughs) Andrew Cuomo, uh, the governor of New York. His dad was governor of New York back in the day. And I was one of those who fell into the hole. And I was talking to to my girlfriend about this, Kurt, uh, when I thought President Trump was fumbling the ball there a little bit and uh, Cuomo was on television every day. I said, you know, this is the way you do this. This is calm. This is rational. This is well thought out. And and now we know. And he got an Emmy for it and and wrote a book and all that. And now we're finding out after the fact that um, what we'd heard was true, that he basically was mandating elderly people with. COVID-19, back into nursing homes where they infected everybody around them. And that's why New York had so many deaths. And, you know, the spider effect of it, the spider web effect of it is New York was the epicenter for COVID-19 and other states out there can trace it back to New York. And because he kept us in the dark,
1: we're behind the curve on COVID-19. Yeah, well, that's the new information that's coming out in the past week or so is that he and his administration deliberately withheld information from the federal government on their COVID numbers and on their, on their policy for COVID. So that's pretty scary stuff. I mean, the fa- not only the fact that he was sending old people back to nursing homes to die, literally, I mean, who knows how many deaths can be attributed to that alone. But the fact that he was lying about it and then going on TV and acting like he was the best, you know, governor right. in the country on, on COVID. Everyone was, you know, bowing before him, kissing at the feet of Andrew Cuomo, and meanwhile, you know, crapping on Ron DeSantis in Florida. I mean, we talked about last week, I believe we did, at least the uh, the they're throwing around the idea of having travel restrictions from Florida. Why Florida? I mean, it's it's clearly a, a political stunt. Cuomo is the worst governor in America on on COVID. As far as by the numbers and as far as him lying about it and, and what we're now learning about his handling of the situation, why are we not banning travel from New York? Which I, I don't think we should do that either. But, you know, I think it just goes to the hypocrisy and the double standard that we've been talking about this whole time on the show. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's a disgrace as far as I'm concerned.
0: Well, it's not just right versus left either uh, because there are Democrats in the state of New York who are trying to remove a- uh, Andrew Cuomo's emergency th- authority away from him. And, of course, Republicans are throwing slings and arrows as well. And what Cuomo does is what I call the Potomac two-step. And Republicans and Democrats are both guilty of it. In fact, the last politician we had in this country who took responsibility for himself 100% was Harry Truman from Independence, Missouri. He had a sign on his desk that said the buck stops here. Right. And when stuff went wrong, he took responsibility for it. Um, and, and he's probably the last politician who's ever done that. So Cuomo's doing the Potomac two-step, and he's saying that uh, it's all the Republicans' fault, it's all Donald Trump's fault. He's trying to deflect blame away from him. Uh, but trust me, there's plenty of blame that's coming his way, and we have not seen the last chapter of this. Uh, there's talk in the New York Assembly and not from just Republicans, Democrats, too. They're talking impeachment.
1: Yeah, I mean, just uh, w- we can drop a clip of, uh, from his press conference from last week. But just, just listen to the way that he tries to skirt responsibility for this issue and the way that he talks about, oh, well, you know, some things might have gone wrong, blah, blah, blah. He's not taking responsibility.
2: I understand the public had many questions and concerns and the press had many questions about nursing homes primarily. And I understand that they were not answered quickly enough. But the void we created by not providing information was filled with skepticism and cynicism and conspiracy theories which furthered the confusion. The truth is everybody did everything they could. The truth is you had the best medical professionals and advice on the globe. The truth is it was in the middle of a terrible pandemic. The truth is COVID attacks senior citizens. The truth is with all we know People still die in nursing homes today. People still die every day. We're testing the staff twice a week. There's no visitation. People still die.
0: Okay, just to prove to you that on Dale Carter's America or in Dale Carter's America, if that's more grammatically correct, we don't just pick on uh, Democrats. We pick on Republicans, too, when they deserve it. And Senator Ted Cruz of Texas is in the crossfire here. And this, Kurt, just goes to show you that when you get to Washington, D.C., and you get inside that bubble uh, of thinking that you are the be all, end all, that everything, all roads have to go through you, you get incredibly tone deaf. And, and I think every congressman and senator and the president ought to have this too. They ought to have somebody in their administration who will pull them aside and say, hey, this looks really bad. Don't do this. No matter what your justification or rationale is, don't do this. It looks really, really bad. And then when you get caught, when pictures of you doing it show up online, don't lie about it. Because that just makes it worse. So the case of Ted Cruz, um, you know what happened in Texas last week? Uh, It was a crisis, and it's still a crisis in Texas. There's still a lot of folks there boiling their water. Uh, There's a power issue, which we're going to talk about a little later on this particular uh, podcast episode. Um, It was really bad. And what the image that got around on social media was the United States senator, one of two from Texas, boarding a plane with his family to go down to Cancun. And they were furious, his, his constituents. They were absolutely furious that he would do this. And then, of course, when he got called on it, I think he lied about it. He said, well, look, you know, all I was doing was escorting my daughters down to Cancun, and then I planned all along to jump on the next flight back to Texas. I think that's a lie.
1: Uh, our girls asked, said, look, school's been canceled for the week. Can, can, can we take a trip and, and go somewhere warm? And, and Heidi and I, as parents, we, we said, OK, sure. And so last night I flew down with them uh, to the beach uh, and then I flew back this afternoon. I had initially planned to stay through the weekend and to work remotely there. But but as I as I was heading down there, you know, I started to have second thoughts almost immediately because the crisis here in Texas, you need to be here on the ground. And as much as you can do by phone and Zoom, it, it's not the same as being here yeah, I think um, you're pretty much spot on with that, Dale. It's it's definitely a bad look for him to go to Cancun. And I, I should say, I mean, full disclosure, I like Ted Cruz. I think he's one of the more admirable uh, people in the Senate. But, I mean, a mistake is a mistake, and, and this is definitely a mistake. And uh, that clip that we just played of him on Sean Hannity, I don't really believe he was being completely truthful there because he said – he went down with his family to get to warmer weather, and the way he phrases it in the interview is that as soon as he got on the plane, he started to have second thoughts about going down, and then and therefore, he turned around and came back the next day. I don't believe for a second that's what happened. He got down there, he saw, opened his phone, he saw what was happening on Twitter, he saw all the memes, which are hilarious, by the way. Uh, Dale, you know, I love my memes. There's lots of great, you know, Ted Cruz with cornrows, you know, like down in Mexico, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that's obviously what happened. He got down there, he saw the backlash, and he came back. So, I mean, I think he should at least be honest about that, you know, at least come out and say, listen, I made a mistake, I saw the backlash, and I realized that I made a mistake and I came home. You know, I think there's people, people can have him, I mean, obviously not a lot of people, but. We should be able to have humility when people do something like this. It's like, okay, he recognized the mistake. He came back the next day, you know, like, let's get over it. But um, certainly him making political politician speech out of it is not really helping his case. No, not at all.
0: Um, And I'll get back to what I just said. I think every politician and, you know, when I was on the city council, when I ran for mayor in Blue Springs, I had people in my camp who were not afraid to tell me, Dale, that looks really bad. Right, <laughs> don't right. do that. Uh, and I would pull back from it because you can get so inside
1: that that you cannot see the forest for the trees. And that is interesting. I mean, he's a he's a United States senator, so he has to have people around him at all times scrutinizing his every decision. So I, I don't know. If I, did did nobody tell him that that was a bad idea?
0: Well, I I, I guess not. And you know, um, in Donald Trump's administration, if you went to Donald Trump and you said that's a bad idea, you probably got fired. So what you end up doing in that case, if, if you're that kind of person, you surround yourself with sycophants. You know, yes, men, you know, you're doing great. Everything's wonderful. True leaders surround, I think, surround themselves with people who will say, that's not quite right. Let
1: me challenge your thinking on this. Right. But we're talking about two very different personalities here. I mean, I don't, Cruz doesn't uh, strike me as that type of person who would surround himself with people like that, but maybe he is. I don't know. Well,
0: Nobody told him it was a really bad idea to do this, so we know that for sure. Either nobody told him or he didn't listen. All right, we move on. AOC. Uh, We we talked a little bit about Texas and what happened in Texas. I am not going to, on this podcast, tell you that I know anything about energy in this country. I've seen a lot of things. I don't know what I necessarily believe, but here's what I know. Um, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who a couple of years ago was a 29-year-old bartender-slash-waitress. That was her job, Mm -hmm. right? And she got recruited by, was it, the Justice? Justice Democrats. Yeah, the Justice Democrats recruited her and the other members of the squad. They primaried people who were Democrats in Democrat seats, and now she's a member of Congress, which means 1 435th of the electorate had a chance to elect her. That's a pretty small fraction of our country, right? Right. And yet now she is an expert on everything energy. She is the one behind the Green New Deal. So, and she comes out in the wake of everything happening in Texas and blames Texas for it and says, you're not green enough.
1: To be even clearer, it's one 435th of the electorate in a district that is deep blue, where there's no competition for the general election. So, it, you know, once you get in your candidate in the primary like they did, she's a shoo-in, so it's not like she really had any competition in the election to, you know, take her down.
0: Well, that gets to the point of what the podcast is going to be about, do no harm, and we can get into what we expect from our government and what we don't expect from it, but I have my number three son is the same age as AOC, Mm -hmm. okay? He can probably fix your car, Mm -hmm. okay? I'm not going to go to him for advice on the climate, Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's just not in his his toolbox. Right. I don't think it's in hers. Right. I mean, if I want to order a margarita because it is National <laughs> Margarita Day, I think I AOC say. is somebody who could probably fill that bill. can she,
1: can she make a good old-fashioned?
0: <laughs> I mean, what is her educational background that gives her the right to set energy policy ah, in this she, country? I think
1: she has a political science degree or something like so that. So do
0: I. And I'm, I'm going to be the first to tell you that who I cares, man? I don't, I don't know what went wrong I don't down give a there. Shit
1: about a political science degree. What does that even mean? What went? Well, exactly. It, it means you
0: can bullshit it means, a lot.
1: It means <laughs> you probably went to college and got indoctrinated for four years about how to think about politics, and now you and then now you have a piece of paper that makes you feel like you're smarter than everyone else. That's right. what that means. Well,
0: I have that piece of paper, and I, I'll be the first to tell you I'm not smarter than anybody else. And maybe as she advances in age, as I get closer and closer to being sixty, which I'll be in like two and a half years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I realize the older I get, Kurt, the less I know. Right. right. And it's time, you know, to turn to, you know, the experts out there. So, I mean, what happened in Texas? Did they rely too much on, on wind and then the turbines froze up? I mean, we saw that a little bit. I've heard things like these power companies under federal mandate have been told you have to spend X amount of dollars on solar and wind. A federal mandate which tells them that we have to take our finite number of dollars and decide, you know, do we fix the coal-fired plant or do we put up another windmill because the federal government told us we had to do it? That's the problem you have with a federal government that reaches into areas it does not know anything about. And I'll tell you what, the folks in Russia and China, they are laughing at the United States right now. They are. Um, Russia's like, don't tell us about um, our pipelines over here. Don't lecture us because you've got the, the biggest state for energy. The Texas is a huge energy state. It's sitting on an ocean of uh, natural gas. It's the oil capital of the United States.
1: And we can't keep the lights on? Yeah, I mean, I've been hearing a lot of different things as well. I need to do a little bit more research on this, if I'm being completely honest, before I reach my own conclusions, but I do know that there are a lot of problems with our power grid. You know, our power grid is pretty vulnerable it in is. a lot of ways. And so I I think and I hope uh, that if nothing else, people will be able to uh, do a little, little bit of retrospection uh, as far as the uh, Texas situation and, and figure out some things to uh, make solutions for the future so that this doesn't happen again. Let's put
0: smart people in charge of this. You know what I'm saying? Let's don't get a bunch of politicians who don't know what in the hell they're talking about. And all of you people on Facebook, well-meaning as you are,
1: you probably don't know what the hell you're talking about either. Well, that's the problem is that smart is a subjective word now. Smart means different things to different people. So a lot of people think that AOC is smart, that she should be in charge of energy. Well, right.
0: she has a seat at the table because she is a member of Congress. Um, but that's just one of those areas where I think Congress ought to be there in an oversight mode to keep us safe. But I've said it before. I personally, I believe in an all-in energy policy um, until we we get to a point where the renewables can sustain us. I mean, somebody put on Facebook pictures of uh, these um, solar collectors, right? And they had snow all over, them. right? Well, that, guess what? That doesn't work, right? When the wind stops blowing. That doesn't work, you know. When the turbine freezes up, right? And did you see the picture of? I think it was a helicopter that yeah. was like shooting something. No, that on was
1: it? yeah, that was the best meme I think that came out of the Texas yeah. situation. It was a it was a meme and it was a picture of a frozen windmill, and the caption was, "A helicopter powered by fossil fuels spraying a solution made by with fossil fuels onto a windmill." That was made with fossil fuels and built and delivered with fossil fuels in order to, you know, perpetuate green energy. (laughs) The whole thing is just absolutely ridiculous.
0: And it gets back to one of my biggest pet peeves in life. And that is feel good legislation where you come up with something. Oh, man, this makes us feel so good. And then in practical use, it turns. Part of our country, and it had a downstream effect on Missouri and Kansas as well, because we're part of this grid that fed Texas. That's why we had rolling blackouts in Kansas and Missouri. But man, it makes us feel so good to pass all this legislation. Uh, but it, as a practical matter, and that's the way I look at things as a practical matter, it basically turned us into a third world country where we couldn't rely on the on energy.
1: Yeah, and I, I think part of it too is that it was a pretty serious weather event. I mean. Especially for Texas, I don't think they had seen that much cold and snow since for like a, a century almost right. or something like that. And so, that's, you what know,
2: that's
0: the excuse they're giving, too. And I don't like that either. Well, you know, it's like once in a 100 years is never going to happen again. I think it's a wake-up call, and, and we ought to be talking about this.
1: I agree. I agree. But what I'm saying is that people are going to politically posture themselves, like never let any good crisis go to waste, right? That's the, the old saying. And I think— We should have a little bit of grace when these things happen just to not jump to necessarily jump to conclusions on one side or the other. Like I said, I haven't done enough research on it yet, but certainly, you know, you can be prepared for a bunch of different things and stuff is still going to happen, you know, so humans are imperfect. We're going to learn from our mistakes and we're going to move forward. So I, I think let's just focus on solutions. Let's focus on what we can do to make sure that we're better prepared for the future. And I think it starts with Texas. The state, they need to implement some state level solutions and, uh, you know, keep the federal government out of it as much as possible. I'm all for that.
0: All right. A couple of other little quick things uh, in the news. The Baltimore idea. I started this one. I saw this on The Five on the Fox News channel, and it was a guy they interviewed who had this brilliant idea that the federal government should be paying people to not kill each other. Where's my check? Yeah. Well, not you. I'm talking about people, you know, um, uh, that might kill. I don't know. Maybe you would. (laughs) Maybe I don't know you well enough.
1: Maybe you need that check. Well, uh, tell me more about this, because I I have some thoughts already. But tell me more about the idea.
0: Well, that's the idea is that you pay people to not kill each other. That if you just anyone it, well, that's I don't know who qualifies for that because uh, I'm not
1: killing people. That's why that's why I'm saying. Where's my check? I've, I've never killed anyone. Certainly there
0: are places like Chicago, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., New York City, Kansas City, you know, our own neck of the woods here where the murder rate is incredibly high. And, and that's the we've had gun buyback programs that have been I, I would say there's been some success in that they've gotten some guns off the street uh, from neighborhoods where. Uh, They might do some damage along those lines. But I just, I saw this story and I'm like, where am I living? I mean, exactly. Who do you pay, number one? And number two, if they're a criminal to begin with, are you taking their word for it?
1: Yeah, right. I mean, they're probably just looking for money at that point. Yeah, I just thought it was asinine and I just wanted to throw it out
0: there because that was in the news in the last week. Here's another one that I think is completely asinine and that is COVAX. COVAX. That is the Biden administration's plan to spend $4 billion of your tax dollars, yours and mine, to vaccinate third world countries. Mm. When do I get mine? Mm. Right? I, I want to get my vaccine before we start spending our money. Remember, we've covered this I don't know how many times on this podcast. It's not their money. It's your money. It's my money. It's Kurt's money. It's money that is withheld from our taxes that makes its way to Washington. And then the current administration and Congress decide how to spend it. And they are going to spend $4
1: billion to vaccinate third world countries. It just boils down to uh, putting America first, putting American citizens first. And uh, I think the Biden administration has already shown in various ways that they're uh, not interested in, in doing that. So that's very troubling.
0: All right, you asked me about today's episode because I told you I wanted to title it Do No Harm and talk about the Hippocratic Oath. Um, that's an oath that a doctor will take, all right, when they become a doctor. And essentially, it means, I will do no harm. And I think it's time to add that to the Congressional oath of office. They'll never do it, but do no harm. Now, we can talk about what harm is and what harm isn't. Let's start with the Constitution, because that's where we always go. And if you go back to the Constitution, you had the Constitution, and then you had the Ten Amendments that are the Bill of Rights. We've talked extensively about the first, with freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of peaceful protest, and the Second Amendment, that is your right to bear arms. That's protected by the Constitution of the United States,
1: all the way down to the 10th, which... Uh, I can read it. Uh, I have it right here. Okay, go ahead. The Tenth Amendment reads, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about the Constitution, they they did the Constitution and it's like, you know what? Maybe we've created too powerful of a central government. We're going to do this Bill of Rights. It's all about the rights of the people. And you get down to the 10th. And the 10th was supposed to be, hey, look, you know, we've made some specific things that the the federal government can do, and what we didn't put in here belongs to the states and the people. And I'll tell you who believed in that stronger than anybody was uh, former Senator Bob Dole of Kansas, who ran for president at one point. Talk about uh, the week of the last news and just the dreadful news that we got. First, that Rush Limbaugh had died of stage four lung cancer, and then we found out that uh, Senator Dole... But he's 97 years old. What a long life he's lived um, that he also has stage four lung cancer. But Bob Dole, when he was in the Senate and when he was running for president, always kept a copy of the 10th Amendment in his coat pocket. He felt that strongly about it that what the framers didn't give to the federal government, they left for the states to figure out and the people. Now, where the federal government, the workaround on all this, and we've talked about this before, is the Commerce Clause. Because right. if you do anything that goes beyond a state border, right. the federal government thinks it has an interest in it, and it's gotten as silly as you know mattress tags and pillow tags right. and how much water pressure you can have out of your faucet. But that's where we are today. I want Congress to take an oath that says,
1: I will do no harm, because they can do extensive harm. Yeah, we've talked about the commerce clause and the and the take care clause in the executive branch. And yeah, I think that I think the 10th amendment is maybe the most important one in the bill of rights. It's certainly the most underappreciated because it's the catch-all, right? It's the catch-all right. amendment. So everything that is not expressly granted as federal powers in the constitution is not for the federal government. That's what that's saying. It's it's left to the states or to the people respectively. And the people could mean, you know, a local uh, government, you know, city government, state government, school board, things like that. But yeah, I mean, that's certainly been, I think, thrown out the window, and uh, people need to to get back to that mentality. But I'm curious, you know, what what do you mean by "do no harm"? Because again, like I said earlier, with uh, bringing smart people in to solve the energy crisis, I think that term can be kind of subjective. Like it, it will mean different things to different people. If you ask a left wing progressive what they mean by do no harm, versus if you ask me, for example, what I mean by do no harm, you're going to get two completely different answers.
0: Right. And there's a lot of different directions we could go with this. And I want input from people who listen to this podcast, too, at C at kfkf.com, because it really starts with what does it mean to work for the American people? Because every one of these politicians, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, um, Mitch McConnell, Uh, Any politician that goes to Washington says, we're going to do work on behalf of the American people. What is it you want them to do? Because you know where I come from. Less is more, and governing closer to the source of the problem is the best government. Because all the way down to your city councilman, and I've been a city councilman, I know what that's all about. I know when the phone rings because, you know, there's a giant pothole in the road, you know, I'm going to get that call because I'm closest to it, right? Right. And you, you branch out from there to a federal government. And what do you expect the federal government to do? I can tell you my opinion on what I think the federal government ought to do. Um, they ought to protect us. So that starts with a strong military. Okay. I think we could agree on that. Yeah. Secure borders. If we're going to be a sovereign nation. Yes. We've got to have secure borders. I'd like safe food. You know, when I go from one state to the other, I'd like to know that a McDonald's hamburger in one state isn't going to kill me in another. So there are standards there with the USDA. Um, Clean water. I want that. Uh, And I think there are federal standards for that. And then you think about United Flight 328 over the weekend. Right. Yeah, I saw that. um, One of our favorite shows we watch at home is Air Disasters on the Smithsonian Channel, which is ironic because I am a white-knuckle flyer like you could never believe. Oh, really? You know, it took me until I was 28. I'm sure that's not helping, then, if you're I, watching that TV show. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it took me until I was 28 to actually get on an airliner. I'm, oh, wow. I'm scared to death of heights. Mm-hmm. When I was 14, the plane carrying the University of Evansville Aces basketball team crashed. Oh, and wow. And it killed everybody really? on board. Wow. And I think that was kind of one of those moments. But when we watch air disasters, it's funny it's not funny. It's ironic. Most of those air disasters that they talk about are not in the United States. Right. They happen, you know, in, in third world countries, you know, places where safety's not all that big a deal. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that we've got an FAA here, a federal aviation administration that, you know, makes it safe for us to fly so that when United 328 happens, it's a big story, right. even though everybody came out of it okay. So those are the things I want the federal government to do. What I don't want them to do where I think they get into danger and where harmful decisions happen, happen on the economic scale, you know, with uh, heavy taxes, heavy burdens, heavy regulations, where they cost people jobs. I mean, that's harm. Um, some of the COVID restrictions, I think, uh, have been harmful in that they, you know, people have been stuck inside their homes, you know, uh, obesity is a problem, depression is a problem. These are harmful effects that come from federal government overreach.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, going back to what I said about do no harm being subjective, I think part of what I mean by that is we have a problem in this country, in our culture, where people are looking to the government and saying, what can you do for me? Which I think is the wrong way to look at the government. What I'm more concerned about is what, can you not do against me? What can I do for myself? And what can you allow me to do in my free, uh, my freedom as, as an individual in this country? Sure. There are things that need to be done that need to be have oversight. Like you said, I think people need to view government as a necessary evil, not as a tool for improving their own lives. And that's becoming more and more the case. And it's not doing any good. If you look at the welfare state over the past 40, 50 years, it has made the problem worse of poverty. It It has has. made the problem of poverty worse. It has made the problem of crime worse and the problem of single parenthood rates in across communities. I mean, particularly in the black community, but also in the white community, it's going up, you know, among, among poor people generally. So this idea that it's the government's job to come in and fix your life, like what can you do for me? And that's why I say, I I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but. I imagine that if you ask a typical left-wing person what does do no harm mean when it comes to the government, they're going to say something like, well, it means that they should give us free college education. It means that they should give us X, Y, Z. And I think that's totally the wrong way to look about government. That's totally the wrong way to look at society generally. What makes our country different is that we recognize that prosperity starts at home. Prosperity starts with you and your family and it's up to the responsibility is you. You have freedom, you have liberty, but you also have responsibility for your actions. That's where the subjective nature of, right. of this conversation comes into play. And when
0: you ask a conservative like me what, what it means to do harm, you know, it's going to be increasing the, the number and the percentage of people who are getting a check from the federal government as a disincentive to work. I think that does harm to the economy, ultimately. Right. If I own a business... And you come to me and with no economics to back it up whatsoever, determine that for my entry level workers, I have to double the minimum wage just like that. You've harmed my business. You've also harmed other people who are going to lose their jobs because of that. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Don't. Don't do harm to the economy. Be there in an oversight nature where you need to be there because we need a federal government to, to watch our, our back, so to speak, to make sure that you know, we have clean water, clean air, food that's not going to kill us and things like that. But, but don't get to the point where you're crippling this country. And unfortunately, I think that's where we are. I mean, we've got a government that is crippling this country, and it needs to take a step back. And on George Washington's 289th birthday, reread that document, that wonderful document that those people put together, laying out a government with checks and balances, and then coming back and saying, you know, we can do a little bit better. We can throw these 10 amendments on here to maybe put the brakes on our federal government here a little bit and make sure that we're taking care of people.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I, I just I guess my point is that, you know, specifically the statement do no harm or, or putting that into the oath, oath of office is not really going to mean anything. I think we need more specific, substantive action to curtail some of the things that the federal government's doing. We need a balanced budget amendment. We need term limits. We need to uh, scale back some of these departments and agencies. Right. You we know, need we line- need actual like actionable items. If we want do no harm, you know, that's how that's going to come about. Right. I think we need the line item veto. Uh, every president since Ronald Reagan has been uh,
0: begging for the line item veto, so that presidents, many of whom have run states like Reagan, like Clinton, uh, like Bush, uh, forty three. Uh, they know what it's like to have to balance a budget. Some of these guys, you know, Joe Biden's been in Washington, D.C. for almost 50 years. He wouldn't know what a balanced budget looks like. Right. Uh, but a president can go in on a line item veto and say, that piece of pork's coming out, that piece of pork's coming out, and a balanced budget amendment would would probably help get that done. So, you know, when you say do no harm, I get that it's subjective. And uh, if if you are someone who is more progressive and you listen to this podcast— um, hopefully, you don't wish me a slow, painful death <laughs> like some people have wished Rush Limbaugh. But I want to hear from you. We want to hear from both sides. Let's have a grown-up discussion about these things. That's what this podcast is all about. So, again, on George Washington's 289th birthday, we salute the first president of the United States. We thank you for listening. This is Dale Carter's America.
1: Ah the (laughs) sobbing symbolizing the sadness all over America as the final segment of the program today has arrived. We gotta go, we're out of here, see ya, be good.
2: The views expressed on Dale Carter's America are Dale's and Kurt Wheeler's. They do not necessarily reflect the views of KFKF or Steel City Media. Comments can be sent to C at kfkf.com. Thanks for listening. Check back every week for new episodes.